If 50 or 60 years ago, a minister would preach a sermon on divorce, people would wonder, why is he doing that? But today, it is impossible for any of us who have not been directly or indirectly affected by the pain of divorce. Now, on a pastoral level, of course, you must understand that I want to see all marriages strong, healthy, and prosperous. On a pastoral level, I want to fix all the pain that results from a breakdown in marriage. I really do, and, and I ache on the inside. I, from a pastoral level, I want to embrace the children who have been through the pain of divorce. But since this series of messages that we've been doing is not entitled, What Does Michael Yusuf Say? or What Did Michael Yusuf Mean? But it is, What Did Jesus Mean? And today we are going to hear what Jesus said about marriage and divorce. The truth of the matter is that during the time of Jesus was very much a time like ours. Sometimes we think we're so far advanced that no other time in history was like ours. Well, to a certain degree, yes. There's some things, yes. But in many ways, if you examine the days of Jesus, and the days in which Jesus walked this earth, and you compare them with our day, there are a lot of similarities between his time and ours. Let me explain this. It had been 1,500 years or so since Moses had given the law of God to the people of Israel. 1,500 years. And during those 1,500 years, all kinds of rabbis and all kinds of self-asserted authorities have reinterpreted the Word of God. They have misinterpreted the Word of God. And most of those reinterpretations are really were by theologians and, and rabbis uh, were mostly self-serving. Most of this reinterpretation were catering to self-indulgence and catering to selfishness. And it's not unlike our day. It's not unlike our day. And we have all sorts of theologians and preachers and self-proclaimed Christian authorities who are reinterpreting the Word of God. There are whole denominations have reinterpreted the Word of God in order to accommodate to self-indulgence, in order to accommodate to sexual gratification. To justify easy divorce, many a church have lowered the biblical standards in the name of love. But listen to me. If you just heard what I said and you're not going to hear what I'm going to say, you miss the point. Because... On the other hand, there are those in order to stem the tide of the divorce rate. They have raised the standards above that what the Scripture has set. you got to understand that it doesn't work only one way. I want you to hear me right on this one, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. Whatever is contrary to the Scripture is neither loving on the one hand nor spiritual on the other. Why do I say this? Because human standards can be either more lenient or more strict than the Word of God. Certainly, it can never be right. One thing I want to make clear right at the outset in this message. And I know so many of you have been anticipating and I've been building up to it. But I want you, please, at the outset to understand that this message is not supposed to dredge up old guilt and old pain and old hurt. 
This is not what this message is designed to do. This is the last thing I want to do. But if the Lord brings you under conviction, if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about issues in your past that you need to deal with, issues that you need to clean up in your life in order to be put back on God's track, then by all means, I pray, Holy Spirit, let's do it today. But the ultimate desire of my heart in this message is healing and restoration and getting you back on God's track. It is my prayer and the prayer of most of the night that I've been awakened and praying that the Lord God, if there is a marriage here today that is in trouble, if there is a marriage here today that is suffering, if there's a marriage here today where it's got problems, if even you feel that your marriage is dead, I want to pray in the name of Jesus who specializes in raising the dead would raise your marriage up today. It is the prayer of my heart that there will be some work of the Holy Spirit takes place today. As I said, the times of Jesus were like our times. There were those self-proclaimed religious leaders who have reinterpreted the Word of God on the issue of divorce. And some of them came to question Jesus about this matter in Matthew chapter 19. Turn with me, please. Matthew 19. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And then Jesus said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so that they no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it is not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of God. The one who can accept this would accept it. Father, I confess to you publicly and openly my complete bankruptcy and my inability to speak without your power and your strength and your wisdom. Father God, let me not speak my words but yours. And Father God, I pray for every heart and the soil of each heart be plowed and prepared. Father, I pray that there will be healing, that there will be restoration, there will be forgiveness, and there will be abandonment of false guilt. 
For Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things in this passage that I want to share with you, and they all begin with the letter A, just to make it easier for you as I've been doing throughout this series of messages. First is an ambush. Secondly is authority. And thirdly, there is allowance. Ambush, authority, and allowance. First, you see, the Pharisees are coming to ambush the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, the Lord Jesus Christ uses the authority of the Word of God in order to respond to their ambush. And thirdly, Jesus explains as to the scriptural allowance for divorce. The ambush. You see, the Pharisees have tried to ambush Jesus on every side. They tried again and again and again. You see it throughout the Gospels. (laughs) They tried to set a trap for him. They criticized him. They attacked him. And sometimes they wanted even to kill him. What you must understand is that the Pharisees were the largest denomination, if you like. They were the largest and the most influential party in the Jewish religious establishment. Their lives was full of hypocrisy. They will put on a big front and a good front, but their hearts were corrupt. And the Lord Jesus, in His righteousness, exposed this hypocrisy again and again and again. And they didn't like it one bit. And so, in verse 3 of Matthew 19, they came to Him to trap Him. They really did. They came to set up a trap for Him. And the trap was designed to basically discredit the Lord Jesus Christ publicly. The trap was designed to make him fail in public. The trap was designed to stir up the crowds in their passions and in their selfishness against the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how come? Let me explain to you. For many centuries since the law of Moses was given... Women, listen carefully please, women came to be treated almost like private property. They were bought and they were sold. Women were not only mistreated and abused, but they were traded and they were divorced at whim whenever the men wanted to. And the Pharisee denomination was the proponent of this easy divorce. And so, If they wanted to marry somebody else, they gave themselves the license to divorce their wives and marry that person for whatever reason, all kinds of reasons. Now, this liberal teaching by the Pharisees was not only established and encouraged, it was going along for a number of years, but then was kind of codified by the name of Hillel. Hillel died 20 years before the time of Christ. And Hillel taught that a man can divorce his wife for the most trivial reasons. For example, if the wife put too much salt in the food, if she burns the food, if she lets her hair down in public, if she speaks ill of her mother-in-law, God help us on that one. Whatever they decided, they committed. And from Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, the Pharisees knew that Jesus did not go along with this abuse. 
That Jesus did not go along with this selfish and self-serving reinterpretation, misinterpretation of the Word of God. They knew that from Matthew chapter 5. So they wanted Jesus to be discredited. They wanted him to discredit their guru, Hillel, and then publicly discredit himself and be opposed by the crowd. You see, on the other hand, there was another group, much smaller. And that small group of people belonged to another guru, a rabbi, by the name of Shema. Now, Shema taught that divorce was never permitted at any time, anywhere, any place. Now, this narrow-minded, hard-line view, of course, was not only unpopular, especially with the men, but it was unpopular with the vast majority of people. But like the liberal misinterpretation by the Pharisees, it is also unscriptural. You see, their question to Jesus was, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Watch those words. Underline them in your Bible. They're very important. They were not frivolous words. For any and all causes. This was a trap. This was an ambush. And that is why Jesus answered them, was not in the affirming either of the liberal group or the strict group. Not even expressing his own opinion, which he, as the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, is entitled to do. But he was appealing to the authority of the infallible, inspired Word of God. He took them all the way to Genesis, which brings me to the second point. In Matthew 19, 4, 5, and 6, Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And then Jesus went on to say, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave, I love this old English word, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, Jesus refused to give them a yes or no answer. That's exactly what they wanted. That's what the trap was all about, was to get him to say yes or no. That was the ambush, and Jesus refused to fall for it. He appealed instead to the authority of the infallible Word of God as it's found in the book of Genesis. And that is what exactly, beloved friends, you and I must always do. Listen, many of you who are hearing me for a long time, you know. I seldom express an opinion. When I do, I take a long time to give you an introduction to that as to why I'm thinking that way. But most times, I really don't. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what they say. What matters is the Word of God. And that's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ did. And if He, the Son of God, appealed to the infallible Word of God from the book of Genesis, who are we? To even depart from that. And so, he said to them, have you not read? Go back to Genesis. Look at the purpose for which God created man and woman. Look for the purpose for which God have put a man and a woman together in marriage. God created a man for a woman for a lifetime of joy, happiness, fulfillment, and commitment. That was, is, and always will be God's ideal. That was, is, and always will be God's purpose for marriage. 
what Jesus was saying to these hard-hearted Pharisees is that your argument is not with me, it's with the Father. Your argument is not with me, it's with the Word of God, the Word of the Father. In fact, the Hebrew word that Jesus uses here, the word cleave that we use in the Old English word cleave, it comes out of the Hebrew root, the word kadosh, or holy, which means to be set aside. And what Jesus is saying is this, that a man is to leave his parents and be set aside for his wife, be sanctified in his wife, and a woman is to be sanctified in her husband. You see, marriage as God intended it is in the context of a total commitment to self-giving, to forgiveness and fulfillment. Marriage as God intended it is in the context of marital covenant for a long life companionship. Marriage as God intended it is for a man and a woman to complement and support each other for life. Marriage as God intended it is an act of God, and that is why divorce is not an act of God, it's an act of man. What God had joined together, only man can separate, not God. In the ultimate sense, every Christian marriage is ordained of God, and every divorce is not. While God permits divorce, He permits it only in certain cases, continuous unfaithfulness. That includes physical abuse. That includes all kinds of abuse. And the Pharisees' ambush was foiled by Jesus appealing to the authority of the Word of God. And thirdly, he explains that allowance for a divorce. That's the third thing here that I want you to see in this passage. As soon as the Pharisees heard Jesus appealing to the authority of the Scripture, man, they were ready with (laughs) one-upmanship. They said, you go to Genesis? Well, we go to Exodus. We go to Moses. Moses, Moses is the one. Moses is our man. He said, hey, Moses said that if we give her a certificate, it's all all right. (laughs) They were ready to defend their position. They did not listen to a cotton-picking thing that he just said. Do you understand? Have you been there? (laughs) I have. I mean, I was ready, and many times I'm ready building up my case, and I'm not listening to what other people are saying. And they were not listening to what Jesus just said. They're building their case. How many times have you heard the rationalization of self-centered causes in the guise of love or happiness or gratification? Oh, never mind about the rest of the Bible. Never mind about the real meaning of biblical love and commitment. Never mind about the truth. Never mind about God's plan and purpose. And so Jesus said, It is because of the hardness of your hearts that Moses permitted divorce under certain circumstances. But you know what these Pharisees really did? I mean, you really have to understand what they have been doing these years before the time they came to Jesus. They took one qualification. They took that one allowance that was permitted, that was allowed in the Scripture, and they multiplied it. (laughs) They just kept adding to it. And you go from one to two to twenty to two hundred causes. They abused the one qualifications under which divorce is permitted, and they used it to abuse the Word of God, and by abusing the Word of God, they used it to abuse women. That's exactly what they were doing. 
So what did Jesus mean by the hardness of heart? Now I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you. Because I know two things are going to work against what I'm going to tell you. Your flesh and Satan. They'll work on you to misunderstand what I'm going to say. I have not only spent hours understanding the Word of God. I looked up every authority that I can look up to make sure that I'm on biblical and scriptural grounds here. You have to understand what that hardness of heart that Jesus was talking about is all about. Listen carefully, please. That hardness of heart is the condition where the sinning spouse, including adultery, is unrepentant. That's what the hardness of heart. In fact, the word comes when you rub part of your skin. Just keep rubbing there for a few hours. You're going to find that there is a callus there. There's hardness in that skin. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is where sin is unrepented of. And let me tell you something. This is probably the most important thing about this passage that you must understand. That I bring you from God's own word, the words of Jesus. Because it is one thing for the saint of God to fail and sin once. And it's a whole different ball game for the saint or child of God to continue in sin. It's one thing for a child of God to err and to fail once and repent and turn to the Lord and be washed and cleansed. And it's another whole different thing for a life of continuous failure without repentance. And that's the hardness of the heart that the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. Even in adultery, one failure does not qualify for divorce. Read the book of Hosea, where Hosea kept on forgiving Goma, his wife, over and over and over. And God said, that's what I'm doing with you. I keep on forgiving you every time you repent. Every time you turn to me, I love you and I'll forgive you. Divorce, in the case of adultery, is when repentance is not forthcoming. If unfaithfulness persists, then divorce is permitted. But I can tell you, beloved friends, I cannot see it anywhere in the Scripture where divorce is commanded or divorce is commended. Divorce is only permitted. And the message of Jesus that he wanted to get across to these hard-hearted Pharisees, those advocating easy divorce, was that when the hardness of heart sits in, when unfaithfulness persists, when repentance is not forthcoming, then and only then divorce is permitted. The allowance of the Word of God In verse 9, except for immorality. This clearly permits the innocent party who is divorced can remarry another without committing adultery. But hold the phone, hold the line. (laughs) The Holy Spirit adds another qualifications, another allowance in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it says, if the unbelieving spouse desert the believing spouse. 
But you know what? There's something very important as I'm coming close to the end, but I don't want you to miss right there in the Scripture, particularly verses 10, 11, and 12. And some of you probably caught it as I was reading it, and I was reading it the way I was reading it deliberately. And you know what it is? It's the disciples' reaction to the words of Jesus. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the disciples' reactions to the word of Jesus. In reality, the disciples were shell-shocked at what Jesus just said. The disciples were absolutely flabbergasted at the teaching of Jesus. And they said to him, Lord, if this is the case, it's better not to marry at all. Look at it. Do you know why they were shell-shocked at the teaching of Jesus? Let me tell you why. You see, they had grown up in a culture of such rampant divorce that they thought that if marriage is for keeps, <laughs> then it's better not to marry at all. They said, man, I'm going to get trapped for life? You mean Halal is wrong? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how culture can influence even the most committed believers and can squeeze us in its mold? And I guarantee you, you and I, see things and read things that probably 20, 30 years ago we would never dreamed of seeing. Culture has that power to squeeze us in its mold and squeeze the disciples. It's like all Jewish males of their day, the disciples were jolted at the words of Jesus as if to say, you mean that I have to be married not just for better, but also for worse? In health? but also in sickness, in wealth, but also in poverty. And Jesus said, that's what God intended for marriage all along. That's what God intended for it all along. Like the disciples, there's so many committed Christians today who are afraid of a lifelong, unconditional commitment in marriage. Many Christian young men today are afraid of commitment. While in reality, marriage as God intended it is the most joyful and fulfilling experience. That is why I told you earlier, it is my prayer that God will reach down and heal some broken hearts today. Repentance may have to be done on the part of some today. Healing is going to be done on the part of God today. I know in my heart that this is a hard word, just as it was hard for the disciples, just as it was hard for the time of Jesus, and he said, who, you know, who can do this? We have not changed much. Human nature, the way it is, we have not changed much. And that is why I want to conclude this message by reading to you a testimony. At 19, I married the love of my life, but he was continuously unfaithful. After 10 years of marriage, we divorced. Based on Matthew 19, I felt I had scriptural grounds to remarry. Two years later, I married a man in ministry and convinced myself that it was God's will, though God had clearly shown me not to marry him. Deception is very easy in the matter of the heart, she writes. My second husband had been abused child and was physically and in every other way abusive. We divorced after 15 months. 
I was in a terrible, painful time with my spiritual battles. As far as I could see, there were no biblical grounds to remarry. I sought the Lord in greater ways and leaned on Him as my husband, Isaiah 54. What I have found is a treasure in my love affair with Jesus Christ that is more precious than I have ever realized. God is always good, and His nature is always redemptive. He took the garbage and the pain and gave me the full reality of 1 Corinthians seven thirty-two to 35. I know God hates divorce, but He loves the divorcee. He restored my life with the joy of His presence in a way so fulfilling that there is no room for another earthly spouse. If more people accept the fact that remarriage is not always an option, marriage might be entered into more prayfully and with full commitment and reliance on the keeping power of God. And divorcees would find the love of their life in Jesus Christ, who will fill every void. End of the testimony. I could not possibly come up with a better conclusion, a better testimony of a healed and restored sister in Christ who loves the Lord. Beloved, as I said earlier, God may be speaking to some of you today. There's some healing, some forgiveness, some restoration needs to be done. Some hardness of the heart needs to be broken. There is no better place to do that than in the presence of the Lord Jesus. So let me ask you to go to the Lord with me in prayer. I've always believed that this moment is far holier than even the sermon time. Because this is the time, this is the moment when the Holy Spirit begins to do His work in your life and in your heart and in my heart. Many years ago, somebody said to me that impression without expression can lead to depression. And I want to give you an opportunity. Take a moment. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, you know my situation. You know where I am. I turn to you. And for those who have not been repentant, say, Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of the hardness of my heart, of my sin. Forgive me, restore me. For those of you who are dealing with some unrepentant person, say, Lord Jesus Christ, give me the love that you have exhibited toward me and the forgiveness that you give me on a daily basis so that I might keep on forgiving. And for all who have hurtful relationships, let's call upon the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, be the anchor of my life. Be the anchor of our marriage. And those of you who are waiting for the Lord to show you the right person to marry, call upon the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, you show me. You reveal to me. You be my anchor.
Father God, I bless your holy name. For you're a mighty God and yet you're a God who keep on forgiving and being a long-suffering God for those who repent and turn to you. We thank you that a broken and contrite heart, O God, you do not despise. We thank you that when we come to you, Father, in repentance and in faith, that you embrace us. And you say, your sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.